Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. I believe a 2,200 square foot addition to their property in a historically African-American neighborhood in Seattle so that her kids and her another one of her relatives can live there and afford to live in Seattle and not have to way out into the suburbs. And the city was saying either to, to build housing units, which she, she can't afford to do, or pay the city $77,000 just to be able to get the permit to be able to construct the additional housing, which when you add that money onto the cost of building in Seattle, makes the entire project uneconomic. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education every single week. Thanks for joining us today. We have one of my favorite organizations out there that is protecting all of us, the Institute for Justice. And we've got Bill Marr on from the Seattle office because he's got an amazing case here. Welcome back to the show, brother. Oh, thank you. So happy to be back. This is great. This is great. And Man, this Adams versus Seattle case, I tell you what, this is stuff, if you're not living in the Pacific Northwest, these are things that pop up. I live in the Portland area, I used to live in Seattle. Let's talk about what's going on, because this mandatory housing affordability program they got is really putting general homeowners in a bind. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like a lot of cities, Seattle has seen increasing housing prices. And they've been driving out a lot of middle-class homeowners and property builders and generally leaving the city or threatening to leave the city as being comprised of entirely the very rich or the very poor. The way that Seattle has decided to address this situation is to actually, they've tried to make the housing more affordable by making it more expensive. And the what they do... What they've done is they've passed this ordinance called the Mandatory Housing Affordability Ordinance. And uh, anybody who knows about basic economics or common sense knows that if you want to make housing affordable, if you want to make housing cheap, there needs to be plenty of it. But instead of creating incentives for people to build housing, relaxing zoning rules to allow people to have more people in their homes, for instance. What Seattle has done is restricted the housing market using regulation, but at the same time mandated that if any developer, and that can be anything from a multinational corporation based on in the Middle East building a huge tower block to someone who is just adding a single residential unit to their home. 
anybody who's adding housing units in within certain zones within the city of Seattle has to either pay a, an exorbitant fee to the city or they have to construct more housing units that they don't want and don't need. And the amount of the amount of that they're charging people can go anywhere, can be up to $35 or $39 per square foot. And or the alternative is you construct housing you're not going to use that you don't want. Uh, and for single family residents, this is particularly difficult. Or single family property owners is particularly difficult because you're essentially turning your house into a into a an apartment building with residents that you know, that in, in, in a choice that you don't particularly want to make. And and the city is doing all this in the name of affordable housing. They take the money that they're charging people and they're using it to affordable housing units elsewhere, or they're allowing people to move into the affordable housing units that owners are forced to construct when they add a housing unit. And what this has done is it squeezed a lot of middle-class people out of being able to add housing, basically any units to their homes or to their property. And it's a condition of your building permit. You have to pay, you either have to pay this a fee, or you have to build this additional housing, or you don't get your building permit. And we're representing Anita Adams and her family. We're attempting to add a, I believe, a 2,200 square foot addition to their property in a historically African American neighborhood in Seattle so that her mm-hmm. kids and her, another one of her relatives can live there and afford to live in Seattle and not have to move way out into the suburbs. And the city was saying either you, you need to, to build housing units, which she's, she can't afford to do, or pay the city $77,000 just to be able to get the permit to yeah. be able to construct the additional housing, which when you add that money onto the cost of building in Seattle, makes the entire project uneconomic. And yeah. consequently, she's not able to do it. This isn't something that's just happening in Seattle. This is something that's happening around everywhere. In Portland, Oregon, here where I live, just south of you guys, if somebody has a house fire and their house burns down and the insurance has to come in, the city can charge them $60,000 in development fees just to get the building permit to put the house back on it. (laughs) So it's great that you're fighting some of this because this is one of those things that is so counterintuitive to actually helping someone. Yeah, it's really, it's creating the circumstances where people are either disincentivized to build or they're prohibited from building what at all. And that makes the supply of housing less, which makes the cost of housing more. And somehow the city thought that this would result in more housing units for less money when what it's doing is resulting in fewer housing units for more money as common sense would have been instructed. And, and because of, of this, this isn't just bad public policy, bad public policy, sure. but it's not just that. It's also unconstitutional um, because the government can do things like if you're building, say you own a lot 
undeveloped lot, you build a house there. Because of that, the government has to extend a sewer line there or a water line or additional utilities. The government can charge you the amount of money that your construction is costing it. It it, They're called impact because of the impact of what your construction has. That's the cost of things in the city itself. But the U.S. Supreme Court has made clear for decades that those impact fees, they have to have a proportionality and a relationship to what it is your project is doing, because otherwise the government is simply coercing people out of money or property simply because they need a building permit. And yeah, that is unconstitutional. Yeah, it's it's that it it is a shakedown, and it's unconstitutional, and it's and we're we believe that the federal courts will strike this down because it's it is not consistent with the holdings of U.S. Supreme Court cases dating back decades. And this isn't the first issue that you and I have talked about. Just the city of Seattle, these guys. And sorry for City of Seattle people, you're listening on the radio right now, but man, they are not good with housing and constitutional rights these days with this, with the development office over there, because it seems that they just keep stepping on their own toes. Every turn they make a new policy, it's can't do that either. Can't do that either. And this is just another one on the pile. Yeah. It, and it, it all goes back to my first point, which is that what makes housing affordable is that there's plenty of it. and Certainly violating someone's constitutional rights does not make housing affordable. Yeah. And conditioning a building permit on a essentially take, holding a building permit hostage in, a, in response or in expectation of a payment doesn't make housing affordable. No. And f- for big developers, they can handle this fee and can pass it on to the, they can pass the fee on to the type of people who are able to buy condos or rent expensive apartments in Seattle in large in in large buildings but it, for small builders and small property owners who want to add housing units this effectively shuts that door to them don't go anywhere around the house we'll be right back Welcome back to the Around the House Show. If you want to get a hold of us, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com or just look for Around the House Show on social media. Now let's get back to Bill Maher from the Institute for Justice. Yeah. And conditioning a building permit on a, essentially take, holding a building permit hostage in, a, in response or in expectation of a payment doesn't make housing affordable. No. And f- for big developers, they can handle this fee and can pass it on to... The, they can pass the fee on to the type of people who are able to buy condos or rent expensive apartments in Seattle in large, in, in large buildings. But it, for small builders and small property owners who want to add housing units, this effectively shuts that door to them. It puts a stop sign in front of any small development. And you, you would think that the city would want the the largest amount of people developing properties and would want small developers to develop properties and so that you have a 
a greater diversity and a closeness between the people building the homes and the people buying them. But for some reason, this is this the the path that the city decided to take. So hard for any middle class homeowner to turn around and get a loan, which most people will do to do an addition or a new ADU or whatever to the property. And then to tell the bank that, oh, yeah, by the way, we have to pay $77,000 in fees on top of this, that the bank is going, well, I don't get that money back. That's not an asset to me. That's a fee. Trying to get that, you basically have to have 80 grand in your back pocket just to pay fees because most banks in most situations are going to go, yeah, you're going to have to pay that out of pocket. You can't finance that. Yeah. Ms. Adams' husband already works two jobs and his basic response to this was, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work three jobs so that I can pay the city of Seattle this money to get a building permit. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what they're trying to do because it looks like she's got just a noble project that she's trying to do to help out her family. Yeah. It is her children are college graduates. They want to live near their family. Their, the current house is too small to for the entire family to live in comfortably. And this was going to be a way for Ms. Adams, who's the first homeowner in her entire family. This was going to be a way for her to be able to keep her family intact, have her children live in Seattle, and have them be able to afford housing without having to commute massive amount of miles to be able to get to their jobs in the for a city that seems to be concerned about climate change forcing people to commute to the city from cities that are 20 30 miles away every single day doesn't seem to be a very climate conscious way to do that and it also what's inconsistent with the city's stated desires for density i was just um, going to say that it's con- con- total contrarian to what they say that they want to do is, okay, we want density. We want people to not have to travel. We want people to jam in. We want to see multiple house- houses on lots. Zoning could get thrown out the corner. Oh, by the way, we're going to make it financially nearly impossible for you to do that. Yeah, and and it doesn't, the, the treatment of this as an impact fee doesn't make any sense either because what they're saying is that, if you build more housing, it's going to be more expensive for people to live in the city of Seattle. I don't see how that can work, but even if it it does in some instances, which it doesn't, um, it still has to be tied to the actual impact that a particular or specific construction is making to the costs. And there's no way that Ms. Adams building a small home for her family members on her property is causing $77,000 worth of harm to housing affordability in the city. of Common sense says if the city of Seattle wanted to promote density and people building, they'd be giving her a $77,000 credit on her taxes to build in here and make it more dense versus charge her for that, because that just makes no sense to me. And you're right. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, the, the theory behind this is one that's difficult for people to understand. And I don't really, 
I think you have to have a certain mindset of the idea that the construction of private housing is inherently a bad thing in order to come up with the idea that we're going to have force people to pay a fee, an extra fee, because they dare to build additional housing units on property that they own. Yeah. And it's a great example here too, is if the city wants to go out and pay for affordable housing for people, at least in my situation down here in Portland, I watched them spend some of their money to build affordable housing. There is not a more expensive way to build affordable housing in a town is to have your city do it for you versus a private developer because they did that here in Portland recently. And I was having some discussions with people. It was twice the cost of what it would have been if they would have said, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Builder, we want you to give us a bid on affordable housing. And that would have built to a better grade than what they were doing. Yeah, the housing units that they've been constructing using these, using the fees have, I believe, come in around $1.2 million per housing unit, which is higher than the cost of the entire building that Ms. Adams is is constructing. Uh, I just... It just blows my mind again that the, that they're trying to do this. So I really appreciate, man, with what you guys are doing at Institute for Justice for this, because these people here taking on a city like you guys do and help people like this is really important because it not only does it change her situation, it changes all across the country when you start to get this kind of case law out there, because now we can report back and go, hey, in the Adams versus Seattle case, they said this, and that helps people especially when the way you guys are doing this. So it hats off to you guys for helping out the public with these type of development cases. Well, thank you. And that's the idea is that we want to create precedent so that other people who are being abused by other municipalities elsewhere in the country can point to that and say, look, you can't do what Seattle did. And Seattle's program is unique because there's a lot of cities that have these kinds of development or housing affordability impact fees, but Seattle's the only one that doesn't have a cutoff. So the, the, as small as you can possibly get it, they treat the multinational billion-dollar development corporation the same as the small middle-class person who wants to add a dwelling unit. And that's unique, and we don't want to see that spreading to other cities because the end result is going to be both is going to be a less housing, more expensive housing sure. and more violations of people's constitutional rights. That's the big part right there is that's getting stepped on. People can find out more information on this case over at ij.org, correct? Yes. All yeah, right. we have and a there's- case page. We have the complaint. We have background information about our client and photos of the house. And when we come back, we'll wrap this conversation up quickly and then we'll jump into my craziest things that were at the Consumer Electronics Show last week that are for your house. And some of these, you're going to either laugh or be completely horrified around the house. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Round the House show. Now let's get back to our discussion and wrap this up quickly with Bill Maher from the Institute for Justice. And then we're going to talk here about the craziest things and some of the cool things that were at the Consumer Electronics Show this last week. It was pretty wild. Now let's get back to our talk with Institute for Justice. And that's unique. And we don't want to see that spreading to other cities because the end result is going to be both is going to be a less housing, more expensive housing, sure. and more violations of people's constitutional rights. That's the big part right there is that's getting stepped on. People can find out more information on this case over at IJ.org, correct? Yes. All yeah, right. We have and a case page. We have the complaint. We have background information about our client and photos of the house and what they want to build. And it's all right there. And there's one important thing on this page up there that I want you to take a look at as our listening audience that I can give a request for. There's a little yellow button that says give now up there. These guys can always use the help because they're fighting for people like you out there to make life a little bit easier and to protect those rights that you've got here in the United States. So Bill, thanks for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. And you guys just keep up the work. You guys worked with me 15, 18 years ago when we were trying to stop interior design legislation here in Washington state when I was a resident there. And you guys helped us through that. And that was a huge battle that we won. And that was really nice to do that. Hats off to you guys. And thank you for doing the good work. Oh, thank you. My pleasure for being on. And I appreciate you spreading the word about the lawsuit and what it is we're doing. Thanks for coming on today, brother. Well, let's get over to talking about the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, this is down in Las Vegas every year. And this is kind of the first really big live event that happens in Las Vegas each year. We've got a Consumer Electronics Show. The next typically is the World of Concrete. And then, of course, there is the show that I attend to, which is the uh, Design and Construction Week, which will be later on this month. Now, the Consumer Electronics Show is where people come out and, and pretty much bring out the latest of technology each and every year. And there's a lot of different themes. And I noticed I set through a lot of the online presence of these big rollouts, you know, for... Samsung and all these different people, LG, they had their different rollouts that were online that I could take a look at. And of course, I had people on the field down there taking a look for me as well, because quite frankly, I'm getting ready for my TV show right now. So I couldn't make it down to Vegas when I'm going to be down there in just a few weeks. There were some cool things. I was talking to Nick Miles from Our Auto Expert. You've heard him on here before that show. And he was talking about the Dodge pickup, the electric one that's just coming out. That is going to be something to watch. You know, Dodge... um, on these Ram trucks, they were well behind the game because Ford came out with their lightning and Chevy GMC came out with theirs. Dodge Ram decided to bring out, and I guess it's Ram now decided to bring out their truck. They reimagined this electric truck. And I like it when a company, and I I've probably owned one Dodge in my life. So I'm by no means a, a Dodge flag waver, but I like some cool stuff with this. Some of the things that I thought were neat from a work truck perspective is they reimagined how a truck works. You, know, you think about that. There's that firewall right between the engine compartment and the cab. That's that big piece of metal right there. Well, if you don't have an engine up front and then you've got, uh, you know, electric motors, you don't need that firewall. So what they did is they created a tunnel pass through from the front bumper all the way to the back. So you could literally put in 16 foot lumber inside the cab 
underneath the uh, tonneau cover in the back and keep it dry and haul it because it goes under the driver's console there between the front the front seats. Thought that was pretty trick. The next thing that I thought was really cool was that they had, and this was, I thought, amazing. For so many people out there that are contractors, they have the seats are on these rails, kind of like what you see rails that an airplane seat are on. You know, you, you kind of notice those little tracks that they slip on. This is the same kind of thing with these automotive seats that are in this truck, but you can adjust them. So they slide on the rails, and that means you can also remove them. So if you're a contractor and it's just you running around, but you want to have maybe the dog in the back or the dog in the front, or you want to have your toolboxes in the back because the floor is now flat because you don't have that hump in the middle for the drivetrain, it's pretty trick. You can now stack all your stuff and use that as inside protected storage. So those seats pop right back out. You can unload the tools, snap the seats back in, and keep going. So I thought that was really, really cool. That was one of those things that I was like, all right, that's good. And of course, there was lots of uh, different companies that had infotainment systems and all the different stuff and all the different smart car you know, concepts that are out there that are all electric. So something to think about coming forward. But that's not really what we were there for to take a look at. And now the other thing is, too, I thought that was interesting. Traditionally, when you sat down for these big presentations, you would sit there from start to finish. If they were an hour, 95% of it was talking about new products. What was interesting this year is there was a general theme from a lot of the product manufacturers that about 40%, most of the time it was the first 40% of the time, they talked about their sustainability practices and what they were doing to remove like post-consumer waste and all those different things. They started out probably the first 20, 25 minutes on almost every one of these talking about their platform and what they're going to do to be more efficient. So there was a little bit less products that came out that they discussed only because many of them were using that time to talk about uh, what their uh, you know, in-house initiatives were for doing that. So that was kind of interesting. But there was a lot of other smaller companies that were very interesting out there. Um, what I liked is there's a lot of more, a lot of the robot vacuum series. I love robot vac. I have one of the uh, smart things, Samsung's at my house uh, for my dogs. It is great because I have hardwood floors and it goes around and picks up hair. I can set it to go around the house, you know, once or twice a day, charges back up does a pretty substantial job of getting all that stuff off the ground. So it, it's it's really enjoyable getting that kind of dialed in right there so we can keep the house a little bit cleaner and we don't have to do it ourselves. So being a person that has all hard surfaces in the house, the Roborock S8, it looks like, this new series, is a two-in-one type thing. So it's a two-in-one robot floor cleaner, which empties the dustbin and it washes its own mopping cloth and refills the water tank but it's really cool so now they have warm air mop drying so it'll dry the mop as well so now you could have it mop and clean the floor and vacuum all at once so i thought that was really trick that was a really cool thing and it's not too bad i mean these things are expensive so don't get me wrong i'm not trying to downplay that at all but where you can spend over a thousand dollars for the samsung one this is and that's just a vacuum this is priced at about 750 bucks, so you can get it on Amazon, Roborock in uh, April. So that's something pretty cool. Now, LG came out with this new refrigerator. It's called Mood Up, and LG had some pretty wild things this year, and I've got LG appliances in some of my house here, and, it, you know, great products, haven't had any problems with them. But this is crazy. 
This is a very flashy fridge because it's got color-changing LED door panels. So Samsung came out with their bespoke line that has the kind of multicolor panels you can swap out. LG pretty much said, okay, guys, and those two are uber competitive. Some people think that they're the same company. No, it appears they hate each other from the things that I've seen personally, but those guys do not like each other, so they are not well competitors on the same page. So LG came out with their new one, and with the uh, ThinQ mobile app, you can actually change the panel color just by using your app. So if you want it to be bright orange or blue or or red or pink or whatever, you can change that. Uh, that'll come out here later on this year, but you can actually change it with your phone on that LG uh, ThinQ mobile app. So that's going to be pretty crazy. I thought that was pretty wild as well. And then one more before we go out to break, Chillax for all you parents out there. They have their Giraffe AI, Thermal AI smart baby monitors. If you're that person that's worried about your baby going to sleep and having an eye on it, they have got the monitor for you made by Chillax. It's about 400 bucks, but man, it is going to give you all the alerts you'll ever need to uh, make sure that uh, baby's moving right, temperatures are right, everything else. It is literally sitting over the crib looking down, and it is giving you all the information and warning you when things don't go right. All right, everybody, we'll be right back after these important messages. More from the Consumer Electronics Show just as soon as Around the House returns. information and education all while we're having fun thanks for joining us today well before we get to the consumer electronics show stuff that we found out from this last week let's talk about how you can get a hold of us make sure you follow us over on social media that's going to be around the house show and then make sure you join over on facebook around the house nation that is our closed group where we're uh, still building that we've got about a thousand people over there but that is where you can share your projects and Basically, show your handiwork in a safe space that we patrol and make sure that, uh, you know, the trolls get kicked out of there. So it's a really good place. And if you want more information about us outside of social media, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com and you can find us over there. And on the podcast, we've got, wow, almost a thousand episodes up. So if you're looking for some specific information, go over to AroundTheHouseOnline. You can click on the the podcast right there on that website. That'll take you over to the main one because I love Apple Podcasts, but a lot of these companies only put up 299, 300 episodes, and then they want you to go back to the original. That's where the original is, where we've got all those different episodes. Now, let's talk about some of the cool stuff at, uh, that I saw here at the Consumer Electronics Show. If you like you know, those hummingbird feeders and bird feeders, they have a cool one. It's the Bird Buddy Camera. It is an embedded bird feeder. My wife would love this. So they're really cool, but they've got a camera that's built, a wireless camera that's built into the bird feeder. And so they had a, you know, a couple different models there. So they had a liquid feed dispenser for hummingbirds, another one, a seed tray. But basically the camera sends a push notification to your phone when a bird arrives and the uh, Bird Buddy app will even identify bird species. So you can store the information in the database for reference. So I thought that was kind of trick. 
That was pretty cool for all you bird lovers out there. Now, here's another one that was kind of funky that I'm, uh, I want to get your opinion on it. So make sure you comment over and around the house and see what you think about this one here. This was kind of interesting. Dandy, the weed killing robot. You know, weeds, of course, are the bane of my existence in the lawn because I like to be the cleanest yard in the neighborhood when I've got the yard going. Right now, I don't only because it's in the middle of uh, a summer remodel coming up here. So it's going to be uh, torn out and redone. So it's 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 nice, but it's not where it's going to be. And who likes to crawl across the, the grass and, and pull out all your weeds? And, and I don't like to go do a bunch of weed killer all over the lawn either because it's not good for the environment, nor my pets or anything else. So Dandy came up with this weed killing robot. So like the the Dandy DT01, about 700 bucks for lawns up to a quarter acre. And for larger, they have the DT01XL. It's about 800 bucks for lawns up to a full acre. It roams your turf and hunts down broadleaf weeds and leaves the surrounding grass unharmed. And then they recommend using an organic iron-based solution uh, that's non-toxic really for you. So it's something that you can do without having too much stuff out there. But that's an interesting one. So you can actually send that out, and it'll go out and uh, kill the weeds in your lawn. You don't have to worry about it. So for all of you that uh, don't want to have to worry about that, that's an interesting one. Now, one of the stranger products out there is made by Dyson. And if you want to look like Bane, you know, like DC Comics Bane, Vengeance of Bane, that kind of stuff, I know I'm probably over-exaggerating, but uh, I tell you what, this Dyson Zone headphones and air purifier that goes over your face, uh, it is funky. And if you want to really have, uh, you know, that comfort of having a air cleaner strapped to your nose and your mouth that goes around to the headphones that are big, blocky headphones, this is going to be for you. Um, It is not attractive. It looks weird. And yeah, it's like a modern Bane from DC Comics. So that one to me wouldn't catch me dead in one of those. That one is, uh, that's a no-go. Uh, other stuff too that I thought was cool out there. There's a lot of, you know, OLED stuff out there from TVs and all that stuff. Uh, Masonite came out with their Empower door. I saw a little tease of that this last year. That has a, uh, basically has the Yale Smart Deadbolt and a Ring Video Doorbell built into the door. So it is a full smart door that way. And then Moen came out with some sprinkler controllers. Uh, they came out with one uh, with some soil sensors. I've been using the ratio, R-A-C-H-I-O one for years, but uh, Moen decided to come out with one, which is cool. And uh, they can do that. So that was, again, pretty impressive. And another thing that came out that was interesting was the Ring Car Cam. Now, this was a hot item. You probably saw this one on the news. So if you've got the ring thing, you could actually put the ring car cam on your vehicle's dashboard and uh, or snap it on the windshield, and it plugs into the uh, into the car's OBD port, and it will record what's going on both inside the cabin and in front of the car while the vehicle's in motion. And you can say, Alexa, and then the record, and the camera will capture what's going on even when the car is still. So that kind of seems creepy. And... Uh, it could be easy reassuring if you're, you know, you maybe get pulled over in a fender bender or something like that. You could sit there and just go, hey, record and and deal with it that way. But um, that, um, you know, it's one of those things that could be interesting, but it's going to really track a lot of the information. So the newer the car, the more information it'll get because that OBD port will give that data from the vehicle. So uh, it will give a lot more information than it's going to do. 
So that's an interesting one right there. And TVs were huge as we were talking about at the end of the day. Now, here's the one that I thought was this one, I think, jumped the shark. And I get what they're trying to do here. But there's if you're eating breakfast or you're having lunch, I'm sorry. This is not maybe the the most uh, delicate subject to deal with here. But uh, made by Witherings, the U-Scan Urine Analyzer. Yes, this puck sits down inside the bowl of the toilet. And uh, this U-Scan is a smart Wi-Fi connected puck that sits inside the toilet. And it analyzes your urine. Comes with two types of uh, replaceable cartridges. And so... It'll do everything for the females and men and hydration and everything else. And uh, here's the weird part. This is where it jumps the shark. It can even test, you know, basically tell the difference between various users in the family. Yes, and they call it the stream ID feature. Yeah, yeah, we can't. I'm just not even going to go there. That one uh, is interesting. And, uh, yeah, it seems like out of some weird bad James Bond knockoff movie or something not cool not cool but there are some other medical devices that i thought were pretty cool out there as well um another one that i thought it was nice uh, there's a uh, made by valena cell it is uh, a compact version health monitor that uh basically gets worn on your fingertip and it can actually give you the um you know your um geez your all your monitoring on that so you can get all the different uh Uh, blood pressure and all that different stuff out of it. So pretty cool way to have a cuffless blood pressure monitor for you. So that's not a bad way to go either. Uh, As far as the healthy stuff, I like that. If you're trying to stay healthy, you don't have to go into the doctor and pay those big fees. That's how you do it. Now, as you guys know, I live in the Portland metro area here in Oregon. And uh, this is kind of the shoe capital of of the world here because we've got Nike and Adidas and all the major shoe companies are here. You know, my Keen Boots, Columbia Sportswear, all these different sportswear companies are have either offices here or like Nike, where they've got about half the state here, I think. You know, it's the, it's the shoe central right here. And LG decided to jump into this, which I thought this was kind of interesting. They brought, uh, for all you sneakerheads out there, and they brought this new tech for shoes. And basically what it is, I don't care if it's, you know, you got your dress shoes, your Air Jordans. These cubes are the new Styler shoe case and Styler shoe care products coming from LG. Now, I'll be honest. This is pretty wild. Uh, These are little, for instance, it's a little clear box that uh, has a turntable on the inside and you, it's lit, and you can basically stack these cubes up as display cabinets. Yes, display cabinets for your shoes. And uh, then they've got their uh, version of the shoe styler there, basically, which means that will steam them and deodorize. And uh, if you've got smelly feet, this is actually one of those things that's going to be probably smart for you because that is going to uh, help deodorize those as well with steam, which is a good way. So uh, anyway, the case keeps them at the optimal humidity and uh, protects them against UV damage. Uh, and it holds one pair of shoes. And then you can hook that into your, you know, your app and things like that. There's no pricing out there yet for the Styler shoe case or shoe care. But uh, more information, you can head over to LG and find it over there. Uh, I've got the LG Styler, which is the clothes cleaner. 
and uh, it's basically is a steamer for your clothes. So if you need to shake out a jacket or something like that, you can hang it up in there and it'll uh, steam it out without having to wash that dry cleaning. It can save you on some dry cleaning, especially for suit jackets and stuff like that. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your weekend. We've had covered so much stuff. we got so much more coming up in the next hour of Around the House. And as always, thanks for listening to Around the House. Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.